you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you haven't noticed lately, we've been going through this last part of Ephesians 2 pretty slow. There's a few reasons for it, but I think just the reason, one of the reasons that I'd like to communicate is this, is this is what it's leading up to in the end of chapter 22. This verse right here, that we as Christians are being built up into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, this is it. And so it was important, or at least I think it's important for us to slow down right here and understand the implications that Paul is trying to give this church, that he's trying to give us. We saw in verses 11 through 22 that these Gentiles were alienated. They were strangers. They were outside of the kingdom, the commonwealth. They had no clue about these promises that had been given to the Jewish people. But because of the blood of Christ, the two become one. Jews and Gentiles worship the same God. They are made one. They are a a unified people. And Paul describes this He illustrates this for us in a few ways. First, he illustrates this for us by using this illustration that they are now citizens. Whereas the Gentiles were once not citizens, now they are. They are citizens of God's kingdom. They are co-heirs to the kingdom, Paul says in another place. Not only are they citizens, but to take it one step further and to make it more intimate, he now calls these Gentiles who were once strangers and alienated members of the household of God. Children. Precious daughters, treasured sons, they belong to a family. And last week what we saw more intentionally is exactly what God is doing with this household, with this family, with this kingdom of his, those who are his citizens He's using them. Because they belong to God now, because they are are a part of his family, because they are his, God does with them what he wills. And what he wills to do with them is to build them into a dwelling place, a temple, the household of God. But in order for there to be a dwelling place, a, a, a structure, there needs to be a few things before a structure is Erected. Before a structure is set up and built, there needs to be a foundation. This foundation consists of the apostles and prophets. 
But a foundation isn't laid just for the sake of there being a foundation. What use would it be if we called a foundation a dwelling place? A foundation is used to have a cornerstone set on it. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself, the the one who the apostles and prophets pointed to. The cornerstone bears the weight of the structure. The cornerstone sets the direction of the structure. The cornerstone is the one that unites the walls of the structure. Before having this dwelling place, this this temple, there needed to be a foundation and cornerstone. But after the foundation and the cornerstone is laid, then what happens? It doesn't take a construction worker or an architect to know what happens. Stones are laid down. A building starts to go up. And this is what we see happening in this verse. This is what we are seeing as Paul, through chapter 1 to right now, is communicating. Is that God is using us to build his temple for him to dwell in. This is what's going on. This is what's been taking place. Because we belong to God, we are being made into a temple for him. We are being made into a temple so that he could dwell in. And so as we start this message today, this is the question that I would like to ask us. Why is the church built up? Why is the church built up? having many conversations with uh, different people, when you ask this question, you could get many different answers. Some answers are answered in this way. When you ask the question, why is the church built up, the, the question is reiterated to you. Well, why is the church built up? It's a bit outdated. It's a bit irrelevant. It's not culturally with the times. So why do we need the church in the first place? It may have worked for people back then, but the modern person doesn't need the church anymore. We have different ways of coping with life. So why is the church built up? Until it is relevant or an updated institution, then why do we even need the church? The other answer to this question, why is the church built up, you you may hear, and it's one that I've often heard, is, well, the church is built up to gain influence. The church is built up to gain influence by any means so that way we could win people to Jesus. This is one that I hear often. If we can plant more churches, we can gain more influence in the culture and we can win more people to Jesus. There's another one. 
Why build up the church? Well, well, the church here is used to serve the poor and needy. Without the church, the poor and needy would go unserved. And so the church is built up to serve the poor and needy. Now, we can't write all of these off because there's a hint of truth in all of them. I mean, we no longer sit in pews. These chairs are a little more comfy than wooden benches. We sing songs not from a a hymnal, but from a screen. You don't hear me preaching with these and thous or untos very much. The language is a little bit more modern. And churches are planted to reach people for Jesus. And it is the job of the Christian to care for those who are poor and needy. But if this is why the church is being built up, then this is not the correct answer. This is not the reason why the church exists. You see, this is the temptation that we face. This is the temptation that goes along with this thought. If these are the answers to this question of why the church is being built up, then the temptation is that we make the church about ourselves. We make the church about our own needs, our own interests. This is not a a novel idea. We see this happen to the people of Israel as soon as God sets them free from Egypt. They construct a golden calf. They worship God according to their own terms. They make this image thinking, well, we want something to look at. This is the best way. We see this in the Corinthian church as a man brags about sleeping with his mother. They would have called themselves a modern church. We see this even in Revelation in the seven churches, where this church, the church in Ephesus, knows theologically all of the correct answers, but has seemed to forgotten forgotten the most important part, that they are to love. They are to love one another and love their neighbor. You see, when we answer this question in this way, why is the church built up? The temptation for us is to answer it in a way that makes church about us and our interests. So, why is the church built up? Well, we we see that we are built together. We are built together. In order to understand the answer of this question, we need to first understand that we are being built together. Who's being built together? It's the people. Paul, or Peter, in 1 Peter says that we are living stones. We are no longer dead stones. We are not a pile of rocks, but we are now, as Peter calls us, living stones. It's the people that make the church. 
It's the people who are being built together. You and I are being used by God because we belong to him to be built up into his dwelling place. The people who are now living stones. But what type of people? Is there a certain class, a certain distinction, a a certain kind of people that are being built up? Well, no. If you honestly approach Scripture, you can see that God uses all different types of people. We could look to the 12 apostles to see just the different types of people that he uses to build up his church. I mean, think of the conversations, the personality clashes, the old occupations that some of the apostles used to have that would have caused extreme dislike of one another. You have Simon, who's a zealot, a Jewish nationalist, somebody who was preparing themselves to be used by a political messiah to take down Rome. And then you have Matthew, the tax collector, who was seen as a traitor. Do you ever wonder if they sat next to one another at the dinner table? Or what about Peter? Peter, the very bold one, who was willing to do anything at a moment's notice for Jesus. And then John, the one whom is Jesus' beloved, who for whatever reason felt the need to continue to remind us in his gospel that he was the one whom Jesus loved. The apostles make up of all different types of people. And this shows us that the building blocks for God's dwelling place are not cut from the same stone. And so it is with us. Is it not? Do we not see people who are living stones who are from the country and from the city? Do we not see living stones working in blue-collar jobs or white-collar jobs? Are not these living stones also the poor and the rich? What about the able and disabled? What about different ethnicities? Those who have much influence and those who have little influence. Professors and construction workers. Each stone has its own beautiful and unique marks, swirls of different colors that shimmer. These are the living stones. It's not a a certain kind of living stone, but different living stones with different personalities and different backgrounds. So are these 
living stones just ordinary living stones? Are they just ordinary persons? Well, this question is a bit more complicated because it's no, they're not just ordinary persons. But yes, they are just ordinary persons. Why are they not ordinary persons? Well, because in our passage, we are told that these living stones, the people who are being built up, are in him. In him. This him is Christ. In him, in Christ, you are being built up. Just like you cannot be or claim to be in the army and be in the army at the same time when you are not actually in the army. There is a phrase for this. It's called stolen valor. If you are not in the army, but you just claim to be in the army and walk around as if you are in the army, then you are faking. You're opposing. It's stolen valor. And same thing with those who are being built up into the church. You cannot just merely claim to be in the church. You cannot merely just claim to be a living stone. You must be a living stone. And in order to be a living stone, one who is being built up into this dwelling place, you must be in him, in Christ. Are you in Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed your sins and asked for forgiveness? Have you turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus? If you have, then this is what it is to be in Christ. No more, no less. It's to trust in what Christ has done. It's to trust in what Christ has said. This is what it is to be in Christ. This is how a person becomes a living stone. These are the people who are being built up into a dwelling place. So no, it's not just an ordinary person. It's a person who is in Christ, but it is just an ordinary person. Because there is no special thing that you need to be or do. You don't need to be a superstone. You don't need to be an attractive stone. You don't need to be a perfectly rounded stone ready to go to be placed in this temple. No, that is not the case. Like I've already said before, each stone has different personalities. Each stones have different backgrounds. Each stones have different sins. Each stones have different jagged pieces. But this is what happens to us when we are in him. This is the amazing reality that we step into as we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior is that the Holy Spirit does his work of grinding away those jagged edges. The Holy Spirit buffs us out and fits us in. This is what Paul has been telling us. You were dead. You were a child of wrath. 
And yet, because of God's rich mercy and his great love, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And when we trust in Jesus, this is the Holy Spirit's job, is to build us up into this dwelling place, to build us up into this structure, to sand away, to grind away these jagged edges. And for some, it takes a little bit longer than others. But it takes place. For some, it's more painful than others. But it happens so that you would be fit and placed into this temple. And as you are fit and placed into this temple, are we not then put together? Are we not then built together? Are we not unified? I mean, think of the close proximity of each brick has to the other brick. I don't know at times if I could bear that proximity with people. That's a little bit too close for comfort. And yet this is the imagery that Paul gives us. Living stones being laid on top of one another, stacked up close to one another. What does this tell us about this dwelling place? Is that the living stones are close in proximity to one another. This might mean that you may clash with another person. What this means is that you may rub a person the wrong way. You might upset a person. You may not be laid down next to the person that you were expecting. But this is what takes place when you become a living stone. You are being used to be built into a dwelling place. This is why you cannot say, and you must not say, well, Jesus I like, but I really don't want to be around that church. That church thing isn't for me. That's almost like if you were to tell me, you know, Max I like, and I don't mind being around Max, but his wife, if I could stay away from her, then I would. We as living stones are being built together. Not separately, but together for a specific reason. If, if you don't mind, this is, this is the question that I'm trying to answer. This is the question I'm trying to answer for us. Why are churches built? Why is the church being built up? This is the question that we're trying to answer, right? So why? Because God intends to dwell in what he builds up. Why are houses built? Why are shops built? Grocery stores or retail shops? Why are skyscrapers built? Isn't it for people to occupy them? Isn't it for a presence to be there? If a building lies vacant, 
then we know that it's dead. There's no one there. There's no life. And so it is with a church. This is one of the scary realities is that a group of people could gather and yet God's presence might not be with them. God has always intended to dwell with his people. This is what Paul is getting at here. This is what he's trying to show them and remind them. And obviously, Paul had some type of prophetic response because in Revelation, we see that they turn into just theological academics. Doctrinally, they have it all right. But the love isn't there. God has always intended to dwell with his people. We see this in the very beginning. As God constructs his own temple, In seven days, he makes the world. Is this not the imagery we get in Psalms when the earth is called his footstool? And he creates man. And he walks with Adam and Eve. He dwells with them. But Adam and Eve wanted to do things their own way. They had a better idea of what it would look like to dwell with God. It wasn't enough for them just to dwell with God. They wanted to be God. And in so doing, their sin, giving in to the temptation of wanting to be God, instead of just dwelling with God and enjoying his presence, God had to force them out. Because of their sin, he had to abandoned them to this world. Because sin cannot be in the presence of God, so he had to tell them to leave. But God, being compassionate and kind and still desiring to dwell with his people, has the people of Israel construct a tabernacle where God would dwell with his people. And so the the people of Israel would gather around in a large circle around this tabernacle. And God would be present with them. And as time goes on, then a temple is built. And it would be in the center of the city to be a reminder of people that God dwells with the people. That he is currently with them. But once again, giving in to temptation, the people corrupted the temple. They decided to do things their own way. They gave in to the temptation of saying, we want to worship God on our own terms. And because they corrupted the temple, God exiled them. He disciplined them. And so then God... sends Jesus. And through Jesus' life, 
his death, his resurrection, he promises to send a helper. A helper who would dwell in us. The Holy Spirit, God himself, enters into our lives where we become now the temple of God. Where he now dwells in us. This is what Paul tells the Corinthian church. This is why he tells them to live sanctified lives. Because now the presence of God dwells in each believer. So what does this tell us? What does it tell us that God is building up his church? What does it tell us that God intends to dwell in those whom he is building up? What's the answer to our question? What's, What's the answer to why is the church being built up? The church is being built up for God to dwell in. This is why the church is being built up. This is why we are living stones. This is why God is using us to build us up into his temple so that he may dwell in us and his glory may be displayed to this world. This is what it's about. It's not about our own preferences. It's about God dwelling with us. It's about God displaying His glory through us as we gather. Do you understand the the spiritual reality that is taking place right now as we gather? That we are being used as God's dwelling place to display His glory to this world? This is why we gather together as a church. Because God dwells here in the midst of us. This is why the church is being built up. Because Jesus has died for our sins. He has sent the Holy Spirit to build us up so that God may dwell with his people. This is the answer to the question. But there is a more important question at hand. There is a more vital question that we need to ask ourselves that we must reflect about right now. That that we can't take any more time. It's not why is the church being built up as as an important question as that is. This is the, the more pressing question. Are you a dwelling place of God? Are you a living stone? Have you been born again? This is the question that we must answer. Because there is no way that we could be built up if we ourselves are not first a living stone. Are you born again? Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Jesus? This is the question that you must face. This is the question that you have to answer. Because without answering this question, then it does not matter If you are being used to be built into a temple, I can tell you right now that if your answer is no to this question, then you are not being built up. But this is why God is rich in mercy and great in love. Because he uses jagged stones and he sands them down and he places them to display his glory. Are you born again? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Are you a living stone? This is what it's about. This is why the church is being built up. For God to dwell in. So that God can display his glory through imperfect people. 
so that God's love can be displayed to this world by using broken sinners. So God's power can be displayed by uniting people of all different types. The church is built up not for us, but for God. So how can we know that God dwells with a church? How can we know that, a, that God dwells with a church? Well, some will say we can know that God dwells with a church because of the fruit that it bears. So, therefore, because it's a large church, a big church, and it appears fruitful, God must dwell there. There are others, on the other hand, though, that will say, Well, no, we know that God dwells in a church because it's small. And it's small because it's been faithful. And therefore, because it's small and faithful, God must dwell in that church. Well, I say that you can be a large church and just be obese. And you can be a small church and be malnourished. The size of a church doesn't matter if God dwells there. So how can we know that God dwells with a church? Or maybe more specifically, and more poignantly, how can we know that we are a church built up by God? How can we know that we are a church built up by the Holy Spirit for God to dwell in? Here's how we can know. A church that is God's dwelling place is a place of imperfect people seeking to live godly and holy lives. This is it. This is it. We call this sanctification. Now, let me just quickly speak to this. What I'm not saying here is that God dwells with a church who adopts the current cultural conservative morals. I don't mean that. That's not what I mean. Who cares about what the cultural conservative morals are of the day? A church that God dwells in is a church that is a church that's moving or striving to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit? Are we a church that strives to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit? Are you a person that strives to be sanctified by God's Spirit? Or are we a church that allows sin to dwell here? Are we a church that allows sin to dwell in our hearts? Are we a church that does not take gossip serious? Or lust serious? Or covetousness serious? Or our anger serious? Or are we a church that is being sanctified? 
What does it look like to be sanctified? As I conclude, here are just a few things. A sanctified person has a sense, a growing sense, a a, a continued sense that continues to well up in their heart of God's glory, His magnificence, His bigness, His wonderfulness, His awesomeness. Are you growing in your sense of God's glory? Do you desire for more of God's glory? To understand more of the bigness of God? Sanctification also leads to a a sense of our own sinfulness. As we are confronted with God's glory, we are led to be confronted with our own sinfulness. Do you look at yourself as more of a sinner now than when you first believed? This is part of sanctification. This is part of the pruning that goes on in the lives of his children. But then what takes place in sanctification is a greater and more magnificent view of God's love. That no matter how sinful I am, God's love only continues to display itself greater. That although my sin looks bigger, God's love is even greater than my sin. Another aspect of sanctification then leads to then love for God. A desire to keep his commandments, to obey him, to live in his will, which then is the outflow of loving our neighbors, wanting to use what God has done in our own hearts and lives, not for ourselves, but for our neighbors, which then leads to an increase in the fruits of the Spirit. Does God dwell here at this church? Are we moving towards sanctification? Holiness? Godliness? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would sanctify us. that you would grow us, that you would renew our minds and transform us to look more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would find our sacrifice of worship acceptable in your sight. 
that this would be a dwelling place for you built up by your spirit. Amen.